0: The following podcast is an Embassy Row production.
1: Hi, everybody. It's Nigel Barker in New York, in Woodstock, no less. And I am speaking to my co-host all the way over in England, in Oxford, Tom Astor. Tom, how are you, mate? Evening, Nigel. Very well, thanks. Yeah.
0: cozying up here in the wind, you know, it's getting, getting cooler here, as, as I've been saying, for the last few podcasts, so we're up, hunkering now.
1: Well, Have a nice fire raging behind you.
0: Got a nice fire lit, warming my back during the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know,
1: highlighting your hair, it's giving you a little sort of backlight action. I see.
0: Well, wait till you see the um, color of my drink.
1: Fantastic. What are you drinking? A self creation. What a surprise! Shock. I love it. I love a self creation. Look at that. Fabulous. Actually, it looks more like my background than yours. But anyway, That's what I said
0: it looks like your background. It's a, a pomegranate vodka. Tonic. <laughs> <laughs> it's a... Asterini. I don't know. It's like a... Asterini. There you go, people. You heard it here first. The Asterini. A Tomasino. I don't know. What do you call a pomegranate with a tonic well, tonic tonic? Apart from delicious, which it is. I don't know if there's a technical name for it, but it's, it's, an, it's a Tomasino. Well,
1: what, I, what I like is that your drinks have got larger and larger and larger. And now... You're basically drinking out of what looks like a a sort of an an ice chest of some sort, like sort of, you could literally put a bottle of champagne in there and chill it.
0: Oh, do you know something? That's exactly what's missing. A little, like a little top of champagne or something fizzy. That's a little, well, I've got the tonic, but it needs a little, that's exactly what it needs. I'll do that next time. The reason my it's getting bigger is because these podcasts, I, I run out of my drink halfway through and we can't go and make a new one because we have to keep talking. So I thought, why not just make two?
1: But listen, that's like, what is it, like a half gallon of, of cocktail? Yeah, it's good. I mean, uh, you know, you can pretty much sort of just drink that and pass out on, the, on this podcast, and I don't think anyone would even know, Tom, would they? <laughs> Thanks. What are you drinking? A mojito, uh, which is uh, rather nice. And I, I, was, I got myself some of these rather interesting Angostura cocoa bitters which are, it's a brand new bitters that they've done. And it's, it's, quite, it's quite interesting. I, I, you know, mojito is with rum and lime and simple syrup, and it's, it's all muddled over mint, and, you know, fresh lime juice. But then this the sort of cocoa bitters adds a completely sort of chocolatey flavor to it. So it's almost like having sort of mint chocolate chip cocktail with rum. Quite delicious, very unusual. I highly recommend. I mean, I, I'm not sure in wh- how many drinks one can use, cocoa bitters, but I guess a, a sort of a, an espresso martini might be rather nice. Could be rather good in a pina colada. I think anything with cream in it, you know, probably a, you know, like a, a white Russian or something, cocoa bitters would go rather nicely in it. But they also you know, sort of suggest using it in food. So sort of spice up your barbecue with a little cocoa bitters no, then. That's. that's weird. What's it called, your drink? calling it a mojito, but it's a, a, I'll call it a cocoa mojito. Somehow, I'm inspired by our guest today, who's probably going to be very jealous, that he's not drinking a cocoa mojito. But before we get to our guest today, a little bit of booze news. Kind of an interesting booze news this time. I know I've probably talked to you about this before. I know, Tom, you know a little bit about this, I would imagine, but when I was a kid, this is a of bit historical booze news here. When I was a kid, my mum, when I was a baby, my mum was encouraged by the wet nurse that was looking, helping looking after the kids and what have you, to drink Guinness when she was breastfeeding me, that it would help me have you know, enough sustenance, would make sure that the milk was rich enough and full enough and all that kind of thing that is, Probably completely outrageous these days. You'd never recommend to a, a you know, a breastfeeding woman to drink an alcoholic beverage. But back then, and certainly, it's it's a well-known thing that you know women would drink Guinness when they were breastfeeding to help make the milk more hearty, and it worked. I, I used to be a colicky baby. I had Guinness, and my mama puts it down to the fact that that's why I'm the largest of her children of six. I'm. Tallest and the biggest, and everything else. But, you know, obviously, I've I've thought about it over the years. And when we, you know, when Chrissy was having a baby, we were having our first, I sort of said, Oh, you're going to drink Guinness and things. And she was like, What are you talking about? You're out of your mind. Not to mention, I don't like it. But anyway, this week, and Tom, I'm not sure if you've heard this on the news in England, but Guinness is coming out with, for the first time ever, alcohol free Guinness. It's Ah. called Guinness 0.0. And it's being launched in England and Ireland this week. And it's going to become nas- internationally uh, available in, in, the, in the coming months. And it is alcohol free Guinness, which, you know, as soon as I heard that, I immediately thought, well, there's an answer to all those breastfeeding mothers out there who have been told about drinking Guinness but don't want to harm the baby with the alcohol. Now you've got Guinness without it. And apparently it goes through, you know, you make the Guinness like you normally would with the alcohol and all the rest of it. And then they, take out the alcohol at the end in a sort of purification process. Um, and it, it's identical to regular, and it's going to be on tap as well at bars. So how about that? It's kind of an interesting... Well, you know, would anyone drink it? I would try it. Apparently, people crave Guinness even, you know, and I guess there's this whole movement of people, because, you know, you've got people who just don't drink, right? And then you have people who obviously drink, and, and then people who who are sort of in between. They're the in-between, that are sort of alcohol-curious they can take think they call them and other people who you know like the flavor of alcohol but are an alcoholic drinks but don't like the alcohol itself right so you know i think there's this, there's this wave of people that are trying to get into alcohol it's, it's almost like it's a sort of a stepping stone or it's a Try this flavor, do you like the flavor? Because I would argue, and you probably would too, it's not just the alcohol content which is addictive. It's, you know, you get into all the tastes and the flavors and you enjoy a drink, you enjoy the flavor. If you could have the flavor without the buzz, would you still drink it,
0: is the question. No, absolutely not, it's ridiculous.
1: (laughs) If you were asking me that question, (laughs) well, do you want to hear my business? Oh, you've got some business? news. I've got a, a bit of an ask for business news.
0: I do have, I have some quite funny business. news. My, when I lived in London, my local pub was this pub called the Nags Head, Kinnerton Street. And as you went in, the bar is at knee height, and the, and, and where the barmen stand, is a very old pub. And the barman sort of is standing, basically, you sit at the bar at a very low, the bar is incredibly low, it's a very small pub. And there's a guy in there, that, there's an ex-services, uh, ex-army guy in there called Kevin, who's run it for years. And he's incredibly, he, he's a redhead, and he's incredibly sort of cantankerous. Um, you know, if you know him, you're all right. But if you're a stranger and you just happen to be a tourist and you've read up, you know, the next head, Kinison Street. It's been voted the worst pub in London. <laughs> um, and the reason it's the worst pub in London is because it's been reviewed by a bunch of people, tourists have gone in there who don't know Kevin. And Kevin, Kevin is probably one of the rudest people I've ever met. And um, you know, there are no mobile phone, you get it instantly thrown out if your phone goes off. I mean it's forget even answering it. If it rings, you you get thrown out. You go in and you, if you sit down, you're wearing your coat, he'll tell you to hang your coat up. And he, you know, comments like, see those things on the it's a new device, see on the wall there, look those hook things, you know, that's for hanging your coat on, you know, go hang it, he'll make you hang your coat, you know. So, what I'd like to say is, anyone listening to this podcast, if you're ever in London, you must go to the Max Head and Kill It to the Street because it may have been voted the worst pub in London. I
1: voted the best pub. That's my booze news. There is the booze news, and I love that. Worst pub in London is actually the Snappers' favourite place. And there you have it in a nutshell, that is in fact the snapper by definition. Now we have a rather great guest <laughs> this week who's got, I, hopefully going to have some advice for you Tom. And Yeah, you because know, clearly I don't need any advice when it comes to the chapeau part of my body. Um, I've not met our guest in person before, but he's looking at me right now with a beautiful smile and a great background, probably a little bit more dynamic than ours. Is both Tom and I have got sort of, look like we're in, I don't know, old bars or something and. Meanwhile, our guest today is responsible for the gorgeous locks of all kinds of supermodels and celebrities. I'm talking people like Chrissy Teigen, who we love, the Kardashians, Bella Hadid, Jasmine Tookes, who I also do, and I've had the chance to photograph, to name but a few. And he's here to help both the snapper and me get to the bottom of some hair myths and talk about what it's like to really be a celebrity hairstylist. I'm talking about Glenn Coco. How are you, mate? Nice to meet you both. Hi there. Hello, Tom. Hi there. Hello, Nigel. Pleasure is all ours, mate. You're in Los Angeles right now, aren't you?
2: Yep, I'm right behind Chateau Marmont. Very glam. Now, yeah.
1: your name is Glenn Coco. You, I, I've seen you respond to emails back and forth as just Coco. Yeah. What, so what is it, Glenn? Is it Glenn? Is it Coco? Is it Glenn Coco?
2: I find the Coco part of my name is like the most memorable. So I... Usually introduce myself as Coco, um, but people call me anything that really sticks.
1: <laughs> well, well, there you go. That's actually how Tom got his name, the Snapper, because it, it, it stuck.
2: Yeah, you've got great hair, by
0: the way.
1: Thanks. Thank <laughs> you. Let's just let's just dive straight in. I mean, we've
0: already got a bit little... no, left out immediately, which is always good. Put him on the back foot of the of these things. You know, make him work for his own, the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can't but...
1: Your hair, Tom. Which I think we should—we have to spend an entire sort of section of this podcast on just your hair alone. What are you drinking?
2: I'm actually drinking a Manhattan. I was born in New York, actually, in the Bronx. So yeah, I'm drinking a Manhattan to pay an homage to New York, which I haven't been there in months and months and months. So cheers!
1: Cheers. You love a Manhattan, and cheers. So tell us, how long have you been in Los Angeles right now? You're- You're a New Yorker by birth, but you're now obviously in the place where where all the celebrities are, and being a celebrity hairstylist is probably, probably the pinnacle, right, to be in L.A.? Yeah, I mean, I always
2: had a desire to do celebrity hair, and I feel like now that I'm in L.A., it's like the mecca of hair and events. So, yeah, I moved here like five years ago from the East Coast and really fell in love.
1: What, what do you mean by do celebrity hair? Like you, you always had a dream of doing celebrity hair. Is that because of the celebrities though? Or is it because their hair is better or because you get more opportunity to do cool hairstyles? I mean, why would one, I mean, I understand, you know, obviously who doesn't work with celebrities, but just curious as to what that means for you.
2: Yeah, so when I was in cosmetology school, I was just, I always wanted to reach the top of hair. So it, at first it meant like owning a salon, but then I realized that wasn't really a goal of mine and then yeah i just always saw hairstylists working behind the scenes i wanted to originally become a photographer as well so when i knew that that wasn't the route i was going to take i decided to go into this lane. and yeah it was just like everyone that i looked up to in the hair industry was doing celebrities and those were the people i emulated so yeah it was just always a goal but i don't think it was for the celebrity factor i think it was more reaching the peak of the hairstyling world.
1: Yeah, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. So let's dive straight into the, Tom Astor's hair before we get to any of the big celebrities, because It's so <laughs> Very important. I will walk around anywhere. In fact, you could be in New York City, you could be in London, we could be in any place. Literally, I um, kid you not, people say, my God, I love your hair, just as we're walking down the street. True, true, Tom. Wow. Well,
0: normally... When it was longer, it was normally old women would come up to me on the street and they'd say, do you know how long we spend in the salon trying to get that colour? And it was normally about kind of 70 and 80-year-old women. So I don't know, I mean, I'm going to be a bit deprecating here. and say,
1: A little bit of a ginger
0: wash. Wash. Well, the ginger doesn't get washed.
2: (laughs) That's what I heard. I heard you never wash your hair.
0: No, I do. I rinse I mean, I rinse it, you know, every week, a few times a week and in, in cold, running cold water. But I don't ever put... I, I, well, I know I did. About seven years ago, I just stopped putting shampoo. I just couldn't be bothered. Every time I put shampoo in my hair, I look like a game show host. It just went like bouffant.
2: Yeah. I actually um, have an ex-boyfriend named Tom who never washed his hair as well. <laughs> but okay. it, work, it works for him.
0: And there we go. It works for me, too. I mean, it probably doesn't work. But luckily, we're not trying to do a kind of, you know, ad for a product, but... Probably in your line of work, it's not, it's not a brilliantly safe ground to, to be on this one, you know. Promoting- I mean, I think
2: there's so many different schools of thought as far as how often people should wash their hair. It's in, On one end, I feel like you want to keep those pores and those follicles as clean as possible so that new hair can grow with ease. And then there's other schools of thought that hair, you know, from the mid shaft to the ends is much healthier with the natural oils we produce. So... Honestly, I'm not a trichologist, so I don't know the science behind it, but it looks like it's working in your favor.
1: Thank you very much. Well, you know what? His godson, who's my son, who's 14 years old, is now taking after him and uses the fact that Tom has great hair and he's got this natural kind of style going on. And, you know, it's a sort of natural oil or whatever it might be. And he's now doing the same thing. So you're setting a trend, Tom, is what I'm saying. Yeah. uh, do you come across people in your line of business? Have you do celebrities out there not wash their hair?
2: There are a few. <laughs> there are a few that don't wash their hair, but I think it's it, it just depends on the, your texture. There's a lot of people that don't wash their extensions, which is brutal.
1: Well, it seems as far as what are we talking about extensions? We don't wash our hair, but we don't wash our extensions. That's sounds <laughs> <Yeah. fun. laughs> So in in the celebrity
2: hair world, and in all female hair world, women wear hair extensions to like lengthen their hair, thicken their hair, but they're you clip them in your hair temporarily for events or whatever it may be. But yeah, so when they take them out at the end of a the night, they might have gone out to a bar or to a party, smoked some cigarettes. So then they want to style it using the same hair the following day, but without washing it. So sometimes you get a little cigarette odor when you're heat styling.
1: <laughs> it could be so oh, totally curious, you know. Obviously, hair extensions smell if you don't wash them or have you. But I, and I, I ask again, and not necessarily wanting names, but curious. Celebrities sit down there, like the ones who haven't washed their, or just people in general, if they haven't washed their hair. Is that smell going to come out? Because Tom's hair does not smell, as far as I know. He, I, that yeah. you, I don't sort of have this sort of. you know the reek of bad hair, which I think right. if you go past a certain point, right, a certain point in time. The hair no longer smells. It just sort of you go back to being normal or something.
2: Yeah, I think I think your hair really adjusts to it. So I feel like you, Tom, you probably rinse your hair in the shower, obviously every day. I'm sure, but
1: you just don't physically like wash. Oh, it. Don't be sure about it. Don't. don't it's like, oh. <laughs> He's like, yeah. No, even no, the bath like once a year. This is basically what we have right here. Is Queen Victoria, but Tom, <laughs> I love it.
2: <laughs> But yeah, I think I think it doesn't really develop an odor unless, I mean, I feel like everyone's like body composition is so different. So sometimes you could have an odor, sometimes you can't, but the, the people that don't wash their hair extensions, I, I feel like if, if they really wanted, if they cared about it, they'd probably rinse their
1: hair at night, but they don't. So what your solution is is that you basically should never wash your hair extensions, then was what we're getting to here. It's not a- like <laughs> if you wash them once, yes. I that is it. not what we're getting to. What we should do is never washing them because after about three months of not washing them, then your hair extensions will never need to be washed again. <laughs> that is not how it works. It's a little different. I love different. this. I'm really loving this. And it's a- <laughs> Revelation, and we're going to move off from Tom. Nice,
0: to... nice. No, we can't move on yet. No, the hair extensions don't produce their own natural oils. Of course, you've got to wash the down things.
2: Exactly. Tom, you, you get it. <laughs>
0: I get it, yeah. Well, that There's no I've scalp. We, we get it, because we've got hair. Nice, unfortunately.
1: I don't know. <laughs> it's but, like, excuse it's me? on top. This, this is a choice, my friend. This hairstyle I'm, I'm rocking right here is a choice. <laughs> you've racked that for quite some time, haven't you, Nigel? I grew my hair back um, on top model at one point, and, and it was my daughter Jasmine who actually said to me, "Dada, no hair." was her first sentence she ever said, and I was like, "No, no, no, Jazzy, Dada has hair." And I, I promptly grew my hair back. And actually, it was Tyra Banks who shaved it live on air, much to everyone's amusement, because apparently I wasn't on brand. And I was just, other than that, I've had a shaved head for the past fifteen odd years. And uh, you know, I just wanted to jump ahead of you know my dad lost his hair early my brothers lost their hair early and i thought i better shave my head and then no one will know little did i know that actually i wasn't going to have it. good hair but um hey there you go <laughs> it works for you so, so Glenn Coco, tell me how do you do hair in, a, in the quarantine? What do we do in a pandemic? I mean, what are you doing? How hard is it? Are you wearing masks? Do you blow dry? Are you blowing all that stuff around? I mean, that just sounds yeah. like, I don't know, pandemic in itself. I know. It does, actually. But at first, it was very controlled.
2: And I had to wear gloves. I had to wear masks. And now we get tested so frequently. I get tested at least three to four times a week. Sometimes it's like two days prior to a job I might have in two days. I still have to wear a mask. Most cases, there are people that I work with so regularly that it's just kind of understood that once we're tested, we're rapid tested and then tested a few days prior. So I think because of all the precautions, it's not as you know strict as it probably you'd imagine. But yeah, at the beginning, it was very, very scary. I think we were all just, there was just so much unknown that we didn't really know how to how to tackle any job. And then there was a good three months where I didn't do a single salt, which was very odd. And I had to just, like, jump back into things. But luckily, I work with people like the Kardashians who are filming nonstop. And Courtney is kind of my bread and butter, so she really keeps me employed. And we follow all the necessary precautions so that we can tackle the last season of keeping up.
1: Amazing. I was going to say, I, I'm not sure bread and butter would be the word I would use. More like cake and cheese, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it, how amazing we're doing their hair. They have some incredible locks and, you yeah. know, I had the opportunity and chance to, to work and meet, meet them as well. And They're great people. So, you know, certainly I was, I was going to say actually who on earth is doing anything that needs having their hair done in, in a pandemic, but I guess are you doing hair for Zoom calls as well as, I mean, as well as being filmed? Are, they, are people like having themselves done for like virtual events?
2: Yeah, so I mean, there are a lot of fashion events, as you know. Fashion Week just is kind of wrapping up at this point. Um, but yeah, so Louis Vuitton had a virtual show, and Saint Laurent had a virtual show. So I'm getting people ready for their events and photographs. Uh, but really, there are no events, so it's kind of been odd. Like, luckily, again, keeping up with the Kardashians is still filming. There, there are movies still filming, and some shows still filming. Um, but it's very, very limited, and events have changed, I think, forever, unfortunately. But but yeah, so now, now we're getting ready for virtual events and photos, and that's how we're living now.
1: It's well, that's, that's different. With celebrity hairstylists to be on a podcast like Shaken and Stirred, is that in a pandemic, there isn't actually that much going on. So, therefore, you can have a drink with us and chat about <laughs> celebrity hairstylists. And the silver the lining young hairstylists out there wishing to become a celebrity hairstylist, bad luck because apparently the whole thing is now over with the pandemic. But I'd love to know. How you went from being just a hairdresser or you know, out of school, because, okay, everyone hears you. And then I wanted to be a celebrity hairstylist, so I did that. It's like, that's not how it works, right? How, was there anything particular that happened that unlocked this rather fortuitous career you know, opportunity? Yeah,
2: so I actually entered the hair world like, during the last economical depression that we had in 2008. And I was kind of like on the hunt for a job. And really was like looking for things that were recession-proof. Like at the very beginning, that was was my goal in 2008. And I had walked into the salon to apply to be like a front desk person. And I was so inspired by how busy the salon was in the middle of like a financial crisis. And I was just like, I just had like an epiphany that like people during all times, when they're struggling, they always need to look good. Whether it's like, whether you're looking for a job or you don't have a job, you need to still look good for the uh, interviews you're going on. So for me that was just like a wake up call that hair is kind of recession proof. So that's how I initially got into it and I spent like 6 years in the salon, visited LA, did my first fashion show at Chateau Marmont which is right behind me, and I was just like so inspired by the life. I remember looking down at the event and I remember seeing Diane von Furstenberg and Anna Winter and Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. And- Teagan and John Legend in that same room. And I was just like so fascinated that this city kind of breeds all of those people. So I actually DM'd a bunch of I mean, different-
1: You can get carried away with yourself. Chrissy Teagan and John Legend lived in New York before they became big. So again- you know, That is true. Uh, L.A. can't sort of claim, <laughs> all, but most of these great people will come from New York. They just go to sort of <laughs> loaf around in L.A. because the weather's good. Have <laughs> that is up. true. The lifestyle's
2: easier. <laughs> but yeah, so then I was just inspired by the lifestyle and then I DM'd a bunch of celebrity hairstylists like just begging to assist anyone. And luckily I got in touch with uh, Cesar Ramirez, who did Demi Lovato and Sierra and a bunch of iconic hair er, celebrities. And yeah, that's how I got my foot in the door.
1: And I mean, you say you begged them. I mean, look, Tom begged to be on this show and I, you know, mentioned. <laughs> Yeah, But uh, I felt sorry. But I've noticed He's like, that, but, no, I didn't. Trying to get
0: out of it for ages, but he won't let. Can't
1: do it on his own. Yeah, no, exactly. He started off by ironing my shirts, uh, and that's how he, he you know, he made it in. He was a very good ballet. He actually makes a good gin and tonic. But what did you have to do? Did you to audition to the, for these hairstylists? What did you have to show them that what you could do, or is it just the fact that you're incredibly good looking? I mean, come on, it must be something else. Thank you. That is very nice of you. Unfortunately, that doesn't carry your
2: career. Uh your skill does. Um, but but when I said that I begged, I truly like DM'd people and, and begged for them to give me an opportunity. Because I think because of this age of social media, it's just very different. It's like before you used to like show your portfolio and that was a representation of your work. And now we have social media. So that was my portfolio in a sense. But I feel like when you're a celebrity hairstylist, you're not really looking for someone that has good skill set because they're not necessarily doing the hair. You need someone that's just like on top of it and really is two steps ahead of you. And for me, everyone that I DM'd would read my DM and, and then not reply. And luckily I got a job that was doing backup dancers for a Demi Lovato music video. And I went up to Caesar in person and I was just like, Hey, I DM'd you and you, you left me on red and I want to work for you. And he was just like, Oh, like, what do you do? And I was just like, I did all the backup dancers and, and I want to, step into the celebrity world, but I don't know I nothing about it. And he was just like, well, assist me tomorrow. If you want to do this, you have to do
1: it full time. And then I was just like, fine, I'll, I'll assist you tomorrow. And that's how it kind of unfolded. That was step one, though, which is, I mean, look, so therefore, you know, take initiative, go up to people, email them, but also just like take the initiative to really go up to someone and say, can yeah. And I've heard that before. I mean, I've had a lot of people. In the photography industry, too, where you get assistants coming in there and they like, I admire your work, but I, I really want you know, you can't just expect people to say, Okay, yeah, assist me because ultimately they probably already have an assistant. And Absolutely, too, you know, it's just a sort of they don't want to be teaching you because it's too much work, you know, you have to kind of take a lot of it in by osmosis, exactly, or observation, right? But there must have been a time then when you what was the turning point you assist doing all of that to sort of a sudden someone going, I want. Glenn Coco to do my hair so it was actually
2: during the time I was assisting Cesar Ramirez um, Jen Atkin who is another renowned celebrity hairstylist was originally supposed to do a job with Chrissy Teigen in Norway and last minute she couldn't do the job and she had found me on Instagram and DM'd me was like hey do you have a passport and can you can you work for Chrissy Teigen this weekend and I was just like Sure. I didn't have a passport at the time and (laughs) just said yes because I wanted to not miss out on that opportunity. I remember paying $650 for my passport to be overnighted and I left the following day. And Chrissy Teigen is really the person who put me on the map. And you know she, she was one of the first people to tag me and really got me a lot of followers. And I followed her around the world for two years. And I think through, she has a massive audience. And I think it just kind of unfolded. I started doing Adele's hair because of a referral through Chrissy Teigen. I started doing a bunch of different models, Victoria's Secret, I'm Bella Hadid, and it just kind of just unraveled very
1: quickly. You are known for a bit of a signature hairstyle. Even you know, doing my digging around with you too, there's, <laughs> there's a certain look that you've done. And I, I know you've done it on Chrissy Teigen. I think Tom could sport it rather nicely with a little bit of hair coming down on the front like that. What what is that cool, that that your signature hairstyle and how did that come about?
2: So I feel like my signature hairstyle is honestly like I, I really like really polished hair that's like really, really beautiful and looks shiny and really seamless. I also really like transforming people from like short to long or long to short. I really like, like big transformations. At the time when I started Chris Teagan, her hair was really short. So I love transforming her into like really long hair or things that, that didn't look like she normally did. But I think the look that I really, really enjoyed was a look that we did for The Ellen Show with Chrissy Teigen. And it was like this high ponytail, but it had this like really nice front bend to it. And, And I ended up doing it on Dove Cameron, who's an actress. I ended up doing it on Erica Jane, who's on Housewives of Beverly Hills. And yeah, I just, I became known for this like kind of swoop in the front. That's just like very like soft and seamless.
1: So Chrissy did not get mad then, when you do some great hairstyle on her, and then all of a sudden you start doing it on other people, doesn't it not become a uh, who-wore-it-best kind of situation? I
2: mean, maybe for like publications, but for us, I, think, I, I don't think Chrissy really cares. <laughs> I think she's just happy that I'm there. When was the last time you worked for Chrissy? We were supposed to do a show together right before quarantine in, in March, actually. was we supposed to start, and I remember March 11th, the shutdown happened, and the 12th was supposed to be the first day of the show. And we were also confused, like production just shut down and we were supposed to film for about a month or eight weeks and yeah, it just shut down. So I haven't really seen her since quarantine.
1: I wouldn't be too sure about her being all delighted with you not doing the hairstyle. <laughs> you you could be right, <laughs> Nigel. You, you can could make right. all kinds of excuses, talk about pandemics and everything else. Clearly you're working for the Kardashians. Just be yeah. careful with what you do when you create a lovely look for a, a lady. All I can say, don't necessarily want to wrap. you right. That is a good
2: tip. Maybe I'm, I should look into that more. <laughs>
1: there's someone whose hair that you really want to style, is that other than mine and Tom's, clearly would, you know, would be a massive- You're top of my list. Top of the list. <laughs> do you even do men's hair? I've not seen you do men's hair.
2: Yeah, so I don't really post about the men's hair that I do, but men's hair is probably like 10% of my clientele, but it's, it's not really something I like post about or, or advertise. I feel like men usually need makeup and hair because they like to just like combine it and have one person, if they're going to be on camera um but i cut a lot of men's hair but i don't really like to post about it but every year i like to compile a list of like my goals for that year this year was a little shattered because of the pandemic but but every year i create a vision board and board and every year i create a list of everyone that i want to work with and there's a lot of people on my list for 2020 but i feel like i have to boot that to 2021 but i think top of my list is really Selena Gomez and i think she's just someone who's just like has such good energy and Really beautiful hair, and I just would love to work with her. I think she's like top of my list. But I also have like Jennifer Lawrence on there, and Jessica Beale, and Kate Blanchett. And I honestly have like 80 people on my
1: list. So I'm like, Tom has that same list, actually. The snapper has a list with about what's well,
0: so fun is normally at this point, Nigel would like to segue in a little bit about, oh, yeah, yeah, I shot her. Yeah, yeah, I shot her. But actually, your list is really making Nigel sort of, you know, he's, he can't come in on any of this. I mean, you, you know, you are really, this is.
2: I think Nigel is being humble.
1: I think
0: you no, can't know no, the work that he's done. I swear to God, humble it doesn't, it's not and that's not part of his makeup. No, I mean, <laughs> you know, you're talking about people cutting people's hair that even I've heard of, and I haven't even got a television. So I mean,
1: you know, this and is the thing you have to understand, Coco, is that you know, when it comes to Tom Astor and the snapper, he lives under a rock in Oxford, which you know, we we, we left him out for the podcast and he comes out with his drink. But, you know, he doesn't realize that, of course, Chrissy He's Very dapper. He's Very, very dapper. It's a very dapper rock, by the way. But, you know, he doesn't realize that Chrissy Teigen's career was really because of what, you know, when I photographed her and I kind of. You, you put her on the map, not John Legend. All, it, it all comes around. It all comes around. I mean, you know, Chrissy yeah. would agree with me, wouldn't you, Chrissy?
2: <laughs> I mean, I got to say, Nigel, you were. I've been watching America's Next Top Model since I was probably 14. <laughs> and. Yeah, I remember seeing your face very, very early on. So I was very excited to do this podcast. Well, there you go. You see,
1: see, Tom? Thank you. Thank you. I think we <laughs> probably just end it there, couldn't we, really? Tom, I don't think,
2: if, I don't think we're helping his humility, but, no,
0: but
1: know, it is worth mentioning. The great thing about
0: that is, and we've said this before on the podcast, the great thing about that is you're probably the youngest person to have ever said that. Normally, these people's grandmothers are saying, I loved you on America's Next Top Model because it was such a long time ago. No. Hang
1: on, hang on, stop it, stop it, it was. Yeah. Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you. I want to get a little deeper. Let's get deeper on the hair subject. I, I, you yeah. know, we don't have experts that often on the show. We have a lot of people who are celebrities and rock stars and you know, what have you, but we are someone who's really an expert, and obviously you can talk about anything, I get that, but I would love to know, because I do think that hair, as is fashion, sometimes people say, oh, come on, it's frivolous or it's, you know, it's, it's not that important, or like, why, you know, why you making such a big deal about it? And obviously, the fashion industry is a multi-billion dollar business, employs literally tens of hundreds of thousands of people, certainly all around the world. Every day, people wake up, they make a fashion statement saying, whatever whatever it might be, it's, even if they decide to dress down or, you know, put on slacks, whatever, or they put a suit on, they're saying something about who they are, what they're trying to do, what they're trying to achieve, how they want to be perceived. But you cannot get away that, Hair is incredibly important to that look and that feel. And in fact, as a photographer, if there is one thing that can ruin a photo, it's the hair. Yeah. You know, and I would say that the most important person on the set, other than the, <laughs> the photographer taking the picture, is probably the hairstylist. Because I can change makeup, me touching, but it is very hard to change hair. So tell me from your perspective, why do you think hair is so important? First of all, thank
2: you for saying that it is the most important on set because I agree. I think everything can kind of be like adjusted and filtered and edited to be great. But hair is just one of those things you really can't edit. You can make it a little bit darker. You can make it flatten a little bit, but you really can't take that hair that's in your face and completely edit it out. But I think hair is so important because, first of all, I think it's it's something that gives women and men confidence. It's something that is constantly on your face. It frames the face. And I think it's just a confidence booster when it's, when it's right. And when it's wrong, I think it can change your mood completely. I remember one of the first celebrities I worked with was Diane Guerrero, who was on Orange is the New Black. And there was a hairstylist on set and none of the hair looks she was feeling confident in. And they like the makeup artist emergency like hit me up and was like, we need someone on set right now to replace the hairstylist that's already on set. So I ran there and got there in 20 minutes and completely changed her hair. And it, change the mood of the shoot, change the whole, the whole shoot to, to make her feel confident again. So I think what it comes down to is just like really personal confidence and, and making sure that it just, the person just feels great. Because I think they have so much other things to focus on that when hair is a distraction, it takes away from what they actually need to do with their work.
1: I've seen that myself first time that actually, and, and I 100% agree. I think it's, what's very interesting about hair is the, how people perceive you. You talk about confidence, right? And and I know that for example, I didn't want I used to have long hair. When I, I when I was a model back in the late 80s, early 90s and stuff like that, I used to have longish, wavy hair. And I used to kind of it was a part of my part of me. I felt like, you know, like very much like my hair was important to the way I looked or the way I felt and and everything. And and I remember when I very first thought of shaving it off, it was a sort of uh almost a monastic experience. It was like my DNA, that my you know any evidence of my life, whatever I had done was being shed. It was this yeah. sort of you know, this kind of cleanse almost, and it's become a, an, an eternal cleanse ever since. Now a weekly cleanse because now once you get a taste of the cleanse, now I'm like any evidence for anything I've done in this past week. <laughs> let me get rid of it and shave it off. But yeah. you know, if you look at sort of historically, I mean, going back to sort of biblical times. You know, hair has played this incredible story in legends and in myths, and and I'm talking about people like Samson, you know, who was incredibly strong until he had his hair cut off. Medusa, who had hair of snakes that could turn you into stone. Rapunzel, who had incredibly long hair that was was a sort of symbol of femininity. Do you see that when you're dealing with people? Do how are people reacting to? styles as far as you know do you see out there, do you feel that people are that em- emotional about their hair? Yeah,
2: I mean, I think all of that really still exists. The hair is so emotional and, and such an acha- attachment that we have. I think men are attached to their hair just as much as women are, and I think there's something about length that people feel is luxurious, you know because first of all, it takes so much time to grow out your hair. people don't have the time to grow out their hair and I think. In LA and in and, and any industry that's very visible, you're constantly getting your hair colored when, and color leads to breakage. Breakage, you know, obviously like makes your hair shorter. So I think people see length and see hair as, as a luxurious feeling. And anytime they're doing any type of like transformation, it's like, it's a big feeling you have when you completely cut off your hair. It's a, it's a feeling you get. It's not just something that's on you. It's not, it's not an accessory. It's, it's,
1: it's a feeling. History itself shows that hair is a symbol of femininity. And during the Civil War, when women went to battle, hundreds of women soldiers disguised themselves as men by cutting off their hair. Eventually, even being imprisoned upon discovery. After the Battle of France in 1940, French women's heads were shaved as punishment for their sexual relationships with German soldiers. Even when it comes to things like this, you hear things like this, and you're like, you know, you, you realize that the taking someone's hair away. Again, going back to how emotional it is, it's sort of like that thing where you, if you're imprisoned or you're, in, you're going to jail, the first thing you often see in a movie is that the person having their head shaved. Natalie Portman,
2: iconic scene.
1: Right? It's like a sort of an iconic kind of thing about somehow you're stripping the person of, of something very important to them. Yeah. You know, talk about that. How do you feel? Is that yeah. something you feel about, about head? Is, that, is, is you see it in movies, you see it, it's, it's, and it's historical. I mean, this is a,
2: right? Yeah, I think people, people just really have an attachment to their hair, and it becomes part of their personality. You know, it's your identity. That's why people color their hair and change it up all the time. Because it's like, it becomes a part of your style, your personal style. And I think the impact with shaving your hair is or getting rid of it completely. There's something that's so I think shaving your hair is such an emotional feeling. I think that's why it's represented in so many movies. And when I think about the equivalent now, I think of Cancer, and I think of the emotional, the emotional process that people have to to go through when you lose your hair during chemotherapy. And I think that nowadays it's like it's such a real feeling for women, and it's it's a completely changes your face shape, changes your emotion. So I think the reason why is just that
1: such a part of your identity. It's also a part of youth, isn't it? I mean, I think if you think about long hair, I mean, you know, like my daughter is 11 years old, and her hair is down to her but lower back. And uh, it's when I met my wife, she had hair all the way down her back. And now she's now, you know, we're in, in our mid forties. Her hair is above her shoulders, right? And it's, to your point, she's probably, it's probably a bit damaged and she's cut it, but it's also the sort of functionality of, if you're a working, busy person, then you want sort of working hair, then having it down to your butt does, isn't, is sort of helpful because it's likely to get in your way, right? So there's something yeah. about, <laughs> There's something about luxury, when you don't have to work, therefore, you can have it really long. Exactly. Right? But let's hit fashion for a moment, because there are iconic hairstyles through the era, eras of fashion. But it, they're more than just iconic because they would look good. They have a reason behind so many of them. There was a, you know, they, they speak to the times, they speak to the era. And if you think of someone like a Twiggy, for example, emerging after the 1950s, when The ideal woman in the 1950s was a very specific type of look and feel. It was this hourglass figure. You know, it was perfectly kept. This was post-war, right? So after the Second World War, people were looking for this perfection because it endured the war. And it was so hard on them that women, all of a sudden, you know, were going through this sort of idea of perfection. And that had its own knee-jerk reaction, where the 60s comes along, Twiggy comes along, and it's like... You know what? A woman doesn't have to have an hourglass figure. A woman doesn't have to have perfect hair. And you know, and there she's known for having that pixie cut and that boyish little cut. But it was almost a, a shout of freedom, wasn't it? It was a, a I liberation. Can, it was liberation, right? So, uh, do you still see that now? I mean, do people do people come and look at you and say, you know, do they want something that they, you're going to give them an emotional change and they feel powerful when they have a haircut?
2: Yeah, I honestly. Feel like in the Twiggy era, it was the it was the Vidal Sassoon cut that became so iconic. It was that short pixie cut that actually made women feel more feminine. And I think it was because makeup was so prevalent during that time. You know, I think when Twiggy had that haircut, she also had iconic makeup that went along with it. And I think that holds true for that whole era. Like if you look at any makeup that that correlates with the that short pixie cut. The makeup was so feminine to bring out the features of women with a shorter haircut. And I think nowadays, I've definitely found that to be present in salon life because I think you get more transformations in the salon, especially when people do a transformational color, they want a transformational cut to go along with it. I think when it comes to styling, like for red carpets or events or photo shoots, I think people do less of that transformation because they want to feel more like themselves Because there's so many, they are characters in the portrayal of film or whatever they're doing outside of that. So when they hit the carpet, they want to feel like almost the most natural version of themselves that's like refined. And and I think that's, that's kind of what appealed to me about celebrity hair is like, I wanted to bring out the natural essence of whoever they are. I want to bring out your natural features. And I think the first thing I look at when I'm doing a celebrity is their face shape, and I'm 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 trying to find the feature that I want to accent or highlight, whether it's the eyes or the cheekbones, or you know I want to part it in a certain way or draw attention to a certain area. Does that
1: depend on the plastic surgery?
2: It certainly does. (laughs) The uh, the artificial cheek, the artificial filler.
1: (laughs) You know, I mean, joking aside, but you know, when you talk about natural and you talk about celebrity and you talk about red carpet, something sort of doesn't quite jive there. When I'm, I'm listening to that, I'm like, wait a second. The last time I looked at a sort of a red carpet with celebrities going down it, I was not thinking to myself, well, how natural they all look, and how, you know, yeah. just, Well, we, I think there's uh, definitely
2: different calibers of, of celebrity. I think, like, when you think of pop stars, that's definitely not, like, natural. I think they want to look like the most, like, elevated star version of themselves. But I think when you think of, like, an actor, like an A-list actor that's, like, let's say, like, a Jen Branson or or like, a, I hate to compare them, but um, Angelina Jolie, that's like, you know, they're still, they're iconic aimless actors. And if you look at how they present themselves on the carpet, it's the most refined version of themselves. And I, I think that, are categories of celebrity.
1: And it's not easy to do that natural look though, is it? I mean, that's the thing. People often think, like, right, we get this a lot on, on photo shoots as well on sets where, you know, people will, will, will want to be as natural as possible, but they'll then sit in the makeup chair for like, you know, an hour, or two, you know, and, and having their makeup done to look natural,
2: right? So it's yeah. we call it snatural. So it's like you're still snatched, but it looks natural. <laughs> and sometimes that means like i there's this technique that we do that we braid right behind the eyes and pull it back so that it literally like pulls your eyes up and gives you a version of a facelift. So it's like, yeah, everyone wants to look natural, but they're willing to take the time
1: to get there. You mentioned earlier that you know, that you on your Instagram, for example, that you post women's hair, really. You don't do men. But you do do men's hair, but only about 10% of your work is men. Why is it that you think that, that women's hair is so much more important than men's? I mean, I mean, obviously, this is... And I only say that because we're in this great moment in time in general where equality and gender equality is so important and things like that. And yet, you know, there are these sort of big discrepancies where it comes to certain things, when it comes to things like, appearance and beauty where there's a a blur right is you know that okay yeah of course we all want equality and gender equality but does that not then go hand in glove with the fact that perhaps women perhaps maybe should have less hair being done or makeup being done and and or men should have more or something or or does that not matter to you and this is just a general question not that i have a real
2: i mean i think the funny thing about equality is like i honestly think that when people say equality, they don't want the same exact thing for each sex. I think it's just more about the respect behind the sexes. But I think men actually care about their hair almost more than women do. And I think that's because men experience hair loss at such an early age that there's such an attachment to their hair and their confidence. And I think men... They think they get over it very easily, but I think it's something they think about every single day, just like women do. But I think that there's
1: like this there's just, they look at Tom, he he cares. (laughs) (laughs) He He won't even let any kind of chemical touch his head just in case his hair falls out. Yeah. And of course, you know, just, uh, you know, I shake my head so I don't break the internet. But anyway, (laughs) Karen. But yeah,
2: I I think that men are actually way more invested in their hair than women are. I think women. There's so many women, if they let their hair just naturally grow, they have beautiful hair, they just don't know how to style it. And I think that's usually the case for women. Whereas men, I feel like with hair loss, it's such a, again, it's like a feeling. It's, it's, it's a feeling of confidence that leaves you when you like stare at your hair in the shower and you're like, why is all this hair falling out? You know, and not me. <laughs> Does it happen to you, Tom? I'm
0: not looking forward to that moment if it ever happens. Didn't I read there the other day that they've actually that they have actually singled out the, the cure for baldness? I mean, within within ten years there won't be any bald men. That'd be amazing. Which I think is is becoming a reality. Or just a real bummer if you if you like in ten years' time if you've gone bald, I think it's too late. But you imagine it would be so irritating, would
2: Yeah, Tom, I don't I don't think you're ever going to go bald. I think I, at this age, I think you're good.
0: Yeah, I think we're, we're, yeah, I wasn't necessarily talking, I, I just, for all those bald men out there, there
1: is a cure on its way. I think we can put
2: that out Yeah, where did you hear this? I have not read that
1: article. I think he has your number. He said, at this age, at your age, like <laughs> at the old age that you are, Tom, that you, Thanks. your time, Because clearly, when you, you know, get into the latter years of one's life, you know, there's nothing better for me than when well, I see Tom incredibly humiliated. But, you know, it's, I think at this point, you know, with that kind of head of hair, you're quite right. It's interesting how much one can talk about hair. We actually had a guest on the other day who we asked him what his worst thing in the world was, what his pet peeve was, what the the one thing that really gets his goat. He responded that removing his wife's hair out of the the shower and pulling it out, and and that was the most disgusting thing in the world. Of his whole life, that's what he cared about. That is the worst job for him that there is. You know, we deal with hair in many, many ways. We deal with it from shaving ourselves to removing, mm-hmm. having it styled. to it makes us feel stronger. It makes us feel younger. It makes us feel powerful. There are religious reasons, things behind hair too, right? So you've got literally monks shaving their head and you've got you know other people, whether it's uh, Orthodox Jews who have very specific looks and curls and, and all the rest of it. it it's a very symbolic aspect thing, hair, right? And, yeah. Do you see that, I mean, as far as the sort of symbolism of hair, when you're creating a new look, when you're, how, tell us about the process. Okay, you created a certain look for Chrissy and You repeated it on a few people. Was that something that you just did on her head at that time? Or do you design it and think about it, dream about it? Does it come to, is it inspirational? The amount of sleep that I've lost over a hairstyle the night
2: before something epic is very sad to me. <laughs> and, and this is my job, but I feel like there, there's a planning process. I'm constantly looking at mood boards or creating mood boards for certain clients. I have a Pinterest board that's literally named by all the clients that I do, and I, I always scroll through it, and when I find inspiration that suits that specific person, I just add it to that, that list, but it's kind of interesting. I think it goes, it, it depends on the person, but usually I go into the, the job with a sort of sense of what I want to do, And then, you know, I usually go through it with the client that I have at that, at that time. And then it will sometimes be like, do whatever you want. I don't really care. Or it's like, no, I don't really like any of your inspiration. Let's just do like a blowout. But I think anytime it's been like a a moment that feels like me, it's usually a mix of references from the past. And then I, I try to put my touch on it. That's like a little bit different than anything that's ever been done. Or just make it my own for that specific person, like just to make it the most flattering version for that person. But yeah, I'm constantly inspired by, by historical hairstyles. And I, I try
1: to take that and make it modern. Do you see politics with, with what's happening right now? And we look at our politicians' hairstyles and our, our, even our president's hair. There's a lot of hair talk, even in, the, in politics. It is crazy. What is happening? What is the future of hair right now? What are we seeing? What what will next season's hair be like
0: can I, Do you know what? can I just interrupt you sorry because we don't we don't um try to steer away from politics, but I've got to ask you as a guy who knows what he's talking about, just explain what is going on with Donald Trump's hair <laughs> because it's blown up a few times on airplanes what's happened what is is it extensions I mean what's going on with it? Could you have a, i mean you must know what's happening can you just Put me out of my misery because I've always been
2: fascinated. Yeah. I love that you didn't want to talk
1: about politics, but you were you're like, but let's talk about Donald no, no, Trump. No,
0: no, 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 I'm talking about That's
1: guys about, does yeah. every single podcast, every but, uh, time. No, Don't like to talk about politics.
0: But, but- he's a he's a celebrity. Okay, he, put him on celebrity, whatever it was he was on. Yeah. What's going on with his hair? I
2: mean, it's it's interesting because there was an article that came out after his taxes were released, and it was the amount of money that he spent on his hair and the hair industry reposted that so many times because they were like, if this is the amount of money you're spending on your hair in a yearly basis, why does it still look like that? (laughs) Because it's a disaster, honestly. But I honestly think that he's clinging on to his natural hair. I think that he think he colors his hair obviously because he still has gray roots. And then the end of it is like very like golden. And I think that he wants people to think it's natural. So he doesn't get his roots touched up as often as he should probably. And on top of that, I think in a position of power, I think you should probably, uh, well, you should kind of embrace the hair that you currently have. And I think that's what he's done, but yeah, I think I think he just hairsprays the shit out of it and hopes for the best.
0: Okay, hairsprays the shit out of it and hopes for the best. Yeah. That is the best description of Dike, that'll do it. And is it thinning? I mean, is that the reason it's got the comb over thing? Is it it's because it's thinning. You just trying to make the best of, of a bad lot, really. Is that, totally
2: yeah. I think I think with Donald Trump specifically, I think most people during hair loss, if they're not shaving it, they're trying to cling on to every last hair that they have. So I think he styles it in a way that's like more forward so that he has as much coverage of his scalp as possible and literally hairsprays the shit out of it.
0: So again, it's like what Nigel was saying earlier, it's a kind of masculine, it's a symbol of like potency and like, you know, trying to hang on. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. if,
2: If it was me personally, I would have a hairpiece, 100%. I would fully have a fake hairpiece. But I think when you're in the public eye so frequently, he's been in the public for years and year, decades, really. So I think that for him to do something like that would look ridiculous. So I think he's just literally holding on to every strand he possibly could have.
1: Okay, now you've involved hair pieces. This is a whole other like rabbit hole to go down because <laughs> yeah. pieces. I've never seen any ever a good hair piece, to be honest with you. And I don't, I'm not talking about weaves and hair extensions. Obviously, they can look great and they're professionally applied, but, but you can always, and I mean, always literally tell when a guy has a fake hairpiece. It's something about the back of the hair that doesn't sit down and it just lifts off the back and it sits there like someone has got roadkill and placed it on their head. And, it, and it's just this sort of awful kind of dead squirrel or something literally on the person's head and they move around and in it, and it. But you can always tell, why is it that they haven't managed to, to figure out how to do it better? So I disagree because I, I
2: think that there are really, really, really great hairstylists out there that specialize in toupees and hair pieces.
0: And the really good ones you don't notice because they're so damn good. It's like plastic surgery. It's like
2: I could have one on right now and you would never know. Like when it's done well, you don't notice. But the one person that's done poorly, you'll notice. And oh. I guarantee if you give them five more years, they'll find someone. It's just like they don't do the research and they probably get it done somewhere terrible. But a good toupee, you should never, ever, ever notice. So you replace them every month, typically, because your hair, your natural hair, grows out, and you have to shave the top of your head. But it shouldn't. First of all, it shouldn't go down that far. It should really only be this like U shape from like temple to temple. But yeah, I this might be too much for this podcast. But I was hooking up with a person who was in Bali, and it, it was getting towards the last. I don't know if it's a month or three months that you have to replace it, but it was getting towards the last few weeks that they probably needed to be replaced. And I clocked it. And I was just like, I can see that you have hair piece. but it's incredible. Like the color match was perfect. It, it looked perfect. And I was fascinated by how good it was. And then it got me into this hole of looking up people in every city. And I get DMS all the time of people like, Hey, I'm looking for hair replacement where could I go? And I do research like a psychopath and i tried to find people that are really, really good at toupees. And I, I found them and, and if it's done right, you should not be able to tell. You're telling me that this toupee is, a, so it's attached to the head. So what they do is they shave the, a U-shape in the head. They shave it down to your scalp and then they apply the special glue that's a really heavy duty glue. They measure the toupee so that it's perfectly for your, for your head. They wet it down after they glue it on, and then they cut it just like they would your normal hair to blend it with your hair.
1: And if the color match is perfect, you should not be able to tell this. I always can tell the edge, and I can always tell normally at the back is mine. Is is how I? I mean, I see it all the time, I mean I, probably I'm looking at just your the average Joe walking down the street who isn't going to to sort of. <laughs>
0: I'm going to go with Coke on this, it's like plastic surgery, you know, you, it's like you can always tell when someone's had bad plastic surgery, but the whole point is really good plastic surgery, you probably walk past it every day, you don't
1: even realise they've had plastic surgery. Because I, it's so I people always tell with plastic surgery, and with Botox and everything, you can see, but people got no lines, no smile lines, like they never smiled in their entire life.
2: So I disagree, you- Nigel, I think when it's done right, you can't yeah. tell.
1: I agree with you. I agree with you as well, Mike. I can tell what I can tell and not tell, for God's yeah. sake. See <laughs> it all the time. It's ridiculous. Anyway, I, I will I have to agree to disagree on this one. Uh, Glenn, Coco, it's been a lot of fun, but before we let you go, we have something called Last Orders on Bacon and Stern, which is a little wrap I've rabbit. heard about this. Get to know you a little bit better. What was your nickname your parents gave you?
2: Monkey. <laughs> yeah. I had really long arms. I still do.
1: Okay. Well, I, I it's not the tail, is it? But anyway. Um, <laughs> no, no tail. Favorite inspirational quote? Everything great is on the other side of fear. There you go. I was going to say, I should Coco, but that's different. No, it's a little different. Whose quote <laughs> is that?
2: I actually have no idea, but it's a, it's a saying that I tell myself all the time everything amazing or great is on the other side of fear.
1: It might be a cocoa original. It could be. Yeah I like that. <laughs> Thank you. In the movie of your life what hairstyle would you want to have? I
2: honestly in if it was the story of my life I would want Christian Bale's hair. I think he has the most beautiful hair. The like long tucked like beautiful. Have you touched it? I've never touched Christian Bale. No. But I would like to.
1: All right. We're talking about his hair now. What do we what happens? <laughs> <laughs> Either way works for me. Yeah. Either way, it works you. There you go. Okay, well, and let's move on swiftly, Sheldon. What floats your boat and what gets your goat? So what floats my boat is honestly really great
2: people. I really like people that are really positive. I like people that are forward thinkers, that don't sit in drama or gossip or negativity. And what upsets me or what I dislike is probably the opposite of that. So... I don't like shit talkers. I don't like negativity. I don't like naysayers. I like just really uplifting things. Yes, you can,
1: okay. <laughs> Coco. Bacon or stirred, final question. Oh, I would have to say stirred. <laughs> that like, sounds like, you mean slurred? No,
2: not slurred, was not an option? Was <laughs> sh- I like gentle, gentle movements.
1: And I, and I feel like I'm having a head massage just hearing you say that. <laughs> you are below me actually. How does one locate Glen Coco? How does one do you have to be a celebrity to have Glen Coco do your hair? You do not, but it, you just have to pay a premium price.
2: Hey, oh, people.
1: He's on Instagram, Glen Coco Hair. Is that what it is, Glen Coco? So it's
2: Glen Coco for hair on Instagram, but it's going to be changing soon, probably. But you can find me on Twitter at The Real Glen Coco.
1: There are a lot of Glen Coco fakes out there. Do not be confused. This is the only one. And quite frankly, if you walk out looking like you have a ferret on your head, you found the wrong Glen <laughs> Coco. Okay. Exactly. Our pleasure. Thank you for shaking, for stirring, and for slurring. We really, <laughs> really, really really You're the best. When I come to LA next, you can have a go with this bonnet of mine. I can't wait. Pleasure meeting you both. Thank you for having me on. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken and stirred. We will be back next week with a, another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya.